Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. Prepare to be transformed by God's undiluted word. A prayer warrior, listen to me. A prayer warrior is not the loudest in the room. Rather, the one through whom God can declare his will on earth. As I begin to think about this, I see why God says, let your words be few. Because I'm the one that knows my kingdom. I'm the one that knows my will. I'm the one that knows what I want to do in Berlin. So I need you to be my voice through which I declare my kingdom in this city, in this nation. A prayer warrior, therefore, is the one who God finds to declare his will on earth. The story of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. That's what our Bible is there. Daniel chapter 9 is a good example of this. Daniel became a prayer warrior in that, in that example there, where there was something that was the will of God to be done. And it, 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 even though it is the will of God, let me say this to us, even though something is the will of God, it does not mean it automatically comes to pass. God then needs people, you and I, to be tools to declare his will on this earth. Because this earth, God has given to the sons of men. The heavens are his, here he has given to us. So he needs you, he needs me to be his voice and we declare his will. So Daniel chapter 9, let's read in verse 2 and verse 3. Everybody there? Did you find it? You did not find it. <laughs> Is Daniel in your Bible? All right, very good. Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says, this is Daniel speaking here, listen to this, this is good. This is prayer, my friends, is partnership. God has, has a desire in heaven. He says, in the first year of his reign, of the king's reign, I, Daniel, I understood by books the number of the years. I was just studying through the scrolls, and I saw the number of the years Whereof the Lord, the word of the Lord, came to Jeremiah the prophet. So many years ago, Jeremiah the prophet prophesied that the people would be carried into captivity. That he says, the word of Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So he's saying, this king Nebuchadnezzar is going to come, he's going to desolate Jerusalem, and for 70 years, it's going to be like that. The people of God will be in captivity, but after 70 years, he will bring them back. That's what Jeremiah said. 70 years have now come, and Daniel is just there in Babylon, living his normal life. He's a prince and all that is going on. Then he said, one day, I, Daniel, I understood by books the number of the years. And I'm saying to myself, oh God, you spoke a word through Jeremiah the prophet. And the time for that word has come. And what God does when the time for the word has come, listen to this, my friends. There are some things that have been spoken over your lives. There are some of us where the time for it has come. And what God will do when the time for the prophecy of your life has come is God will look for an intercessor. So the time to deliver the people has come. Jeremiah spoke the word many years ago. But what God now did is, God didn't say the time has come. Automatically, I will just come in and do what I like. No. He can't just do that. He says, okay, the time has come. What I'm going to do is I'm not going to direct Daniel. I'm going to direct him. I'm going to direct him to the time has come. And that will inspire him to begin to ask me. He will bring my words to me and begin to ask me that my will be done. And then my will. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, I haven't read that. Verse 3. The Bible says, Daniel said, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer 
by supplication, by fasting, by sackcloth and ashes. I began that, the, the deliverance of God's people. That's what God wants to do. And God now takes a man who now begins to, the Bible says, I set my face to seek the Lord in prayer, to seek the Lord in supplication. Can I tell you something, my friends? There may be things that are the will of God. There may be things that are spoken over your life and the time comes for them. But if there is no intercessor found for it, they will, the time will come and it will pass and many things never happen, even though they are the will of God. That's what I said to us this morning, that prayer really, my friends, is partnership. There are many things in heaven right now for which it is time. There are many things in this city right now for which it is time. There are things in our church right now for which it is time. There are things in your life, in your family, for which it is time. And when we come to the place of prayer, what God does is God begins to direct you to things he wants to do. Remember then that we said when you come to prayer, let your words be few. Because many times you don't even know what time it is. But he knows what time it is. So you will find if you are a serious seeker of God, that when you come to the place of prayer, God many times will override your agenda. The schedule with which you came to prayer and you will begin to put some things. He will just begin to, it's like something is coming from under the water and will begin to raise his head. And for some reason, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to pray. Somebody will begin to come up in your thoughts. That's God saying, I need a partner that my, that my kingdom come, that my will be done on earth. When God invited us and says, men ought always to pray and not to, and not to faint. He was inviting us, my friends, to, to be his voice that his will be done on earth. And I said to you, the only reason why God says the center of prayer is partnering with me is as far as your needs are concerned, I'll take care of that. Uh, may God give you a revelation of this. As far as your life is concerned, as far as your own requirements are concerned, I'll take care of that. But I need you to be my voice. People that are busy partnering with God don't place a whole lot of attention on their needs here and there. I can tell you that. Praying in tongues is, is the Holy Spirit. When we pray in other tongues, it is the Holy Spirit using us to declare God's will on earth. That's why we pray in tongues a lot. But like most of the time when we pray in the spirit, we don't even know what we're praying. It is God using us. Why did God bring the whole context of praying in the spirit? Why do we pray in the spirit? It is to remove room for our selfishness. God knew if I leave them alone to their understanding, all they will be praying is what they think are the big issues of their own lives right now. But God is saying, I need you. So the Holy Spirit will begin to inspire you. You begin to pray in the Spirit. You begin to pray in the Spirit. Sometimes it will let you know what you are praying. Sometimes it doesn't let you know what you are praying. But every time you are declaring God's will on earth. So every time I have a chance to pray in the Spirit, I'm glad. I'm a tool in the hands of God. Does the church understand me this morning? Pray in the Spirit a lot. Pray in the Spirit a lot. Pray in the Spirit a lot. Just pray. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 1 hour, 2 hours, 3 hours, 4 hours. Just pray in the spirit. Just pray in the spirit. Just pray in the spirit. You find, can I take this a little bit deeper? There are things in the realm of the spirit that we've never touched. There are things in the place of prayer that we've never touched. There are things that don't come in corporate prayer, that come in private prayer between you and God at home. And as you pray, 
my experience in the place of prayer is this. It's like you, you begin to, you, you take a, I just came back from Nigeria and every time there is no power and people have generators and if you have a very old generator, you have to, how many people understand that? You have to, that's difficult to start. But the moment it starts, you know, it just turns on its own. Many times prayer is like that. Prayer is like that many times. And you're just getting started. You're getting started. But the deeper you go, the longer you stay, the more you begin to float, the less you begin to depend on yourself. The less you begin to depend on yourself, the more you want to just stay there and just pray in the spirit. The more you begin to have a sense. How many people have experienced this before? You stay in prayer, you stay in prayer, you pray in the Holy Ghost, you pray in the Holy Ghost, you pray in the Holy Ghost, you get to a point, you begin to have a sense of, ah, I'm very useful right now. Have you been there before? And everybody that has been there before will understand when I say that. At such points, you don't start praying about mundane things. At such point, you don't wait such anointings and such moments on, on very small things. You are dealing with nation. You are dealing with continent changing matters in the place of prayer. One man, one man can change a nation. One man that can kneel in the place of prayer and, be, and become a tool. And God says, I need a partner. God will never be able to pray for this world. Jesus will never be able to pray for this world. The Holy Spirit will never be able to pray for this world until he finds a man, find a man, a woman like yourself through which he will pray. They can't pray, no prayer. You and I this morning are the partners that God is looking for. Romans chapter 8, come on. Romans chapter 8, let's read from verse 26, 27. It sort of says what I'm saying this morning. When we pray in tongues, I want to encourage us, pray in tongues a lot. Pray in tongues, God is using you to declare his will on earth. What I like about praying in tongues is they say I have a problem. And I think, okay, today's prayer, I'm going to be praying about this, my problem. That's what I'm dealing with today. And I come to the place of prayer. And God says, okay, that's your problem. That's what you brought. And you begin to pray in tongues. Who told you he's praying about your problem? <laughs> oh, no, no. Romans 8 verse 26, listen to this. It says, likewise... The Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought to. We don't know what we should pray. It says, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings. That's what happens in praying in tongues. Groanings which cannot be altered. Then he said in verse 27, and he that searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes, listen to this, he makes intercession for the saints, according to what? Talk to me, everybody. According to what? It makes intercession. So when we are praying in the spirit, what are we doing? We're making intercession in the perfect will of God. So when Daniel began to pray, <laughs> he didn't have what we have today. But when you and I come to a point like that and we begin to pray in the spirit, we pray exactly the perfect will of God. The perfect will of God. Because the Holy Spirit begins to do that inside us. Establishing the will of God on earth, my friends, is the heart of purposeful prayer. Effectual, fervent prayer is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I don't know what is his will. What is his will concerning that sister? What is his will concerning that brother? What is his will concerning this church? What is God's will concerning this city? I don't know it many times. That's why he gave us speaking in other tongues. When we come, the Holy Ghost begins to pray the will of God inside us. I can tell you something, we can all be more useful.
that we have been up to now, we can be more useful for God. If you believe that, can you give me an amen? amen. Number four. Number four. Moving on very quickly. Prayer is fellowship. I said number one is the fact that we have been invited. Number two, I said when you come into the place of effectual fervent prayer, let your own words be few. Let his words fill it up more. His words are scriptures. His words are tongues. His words are interpretation of tongues. Number three, I said to us that prayer is partnership. God is looking for partners. Number four, prayer is fellowship. Prayer is fellowship. Prayer, listen to this, becomes fellowship when prayer is done in his presence. Prayer becomes fellowship when prayer is done in the presence of God. Someone will say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? A lot of praying is done without even thinking about him. I want every one of us to look at ourselves on this point. There's a lot of religious praying that we do. That while we are doing it, okay, let's not say, let me not say we. I'll say me. Maybe you not. Up till now, there's a lot of praying that I've done that while we do it, we do it for all kinds of reasons. Um, we, we, we pray on the food. We pray on our journey. We do opening prayer of meetings, uh, closing prayer of meetings, all kinds of praying that we do. And many times when we do all of those kinds of prayers, or sometimes praying for people, or somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, please pray for me. Uh, okay, the Lord bless you. We do a lot of, a lot of praying. Um, a lot of times, most of them are not prayed conscious of the one we're talking to. How many of you, let me ask you this question here. How many of you will be offended if I come and I'm talking to you, but while I'm talking to you, I'm looking at somewhere else, but I'm talking to you? How many people will be offended? Please. I pay you no attention, but I'm talking to you. Particularly, I'm asking you for something, asking you to do something for me. I don't pay attention to you, but I just say, hey, okay, give me that and I'm just looking somewhere else. A lot of times in our lives, we're not conscious of him. Do you remember that scripture in Hebrews 11 verse 6? Put it up for me, please. Hebrews 11 verse 6. And I, God help me to teach this to us this morning. That prayer is effectively fellowship. But prayer can only be fellowship when prayer is made in his presence. And what I mean by that is when prayer is made conscious of him. We pray conscious of him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Look at this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must do what? Now, let's think about this this morning. Must believe that he is. Do you actually really think there are people that will come in prayer and they don't believe that he's a God? No, we do, that's, not, that's not who we are. Is there anybody here this morning who doesn't believe that God is? Talk to me, everybody. So what does the Bible mean when it says when we come to prayer, we must believe that he is? He's talking about focus. He's talking about attention. He's talking about being conscious of him. When we come to God, we must come to him. So I made up my mind, I'll never pray another religious, aimless prayer in my life. Every time I utter a word of prayer to him, I'm looking at him, I'm talking about him, I'm thinking about him, I'm putting him right in front of me. Then, when I come to him, I believe that he is. He is. Everybody say he is. 
when prayer is made conscious of him, when prayer is made in his presence, then prayer has the ability to become fellowship. Because we're not conscious of him is why a lot of prayer is mechanical, it's not fellowship. When you pray, write these things down in your notes, my friends. When you pray, put him in front of you. At the just concluded convention, we had the encounter rooms and some of you would have been joining the encounter rooms. I think it was on the Thursday afternoon, sitting down at the encounter room for those two hours. Sat down there from the beginning to the end and the words that I said to God in those two hours, maximum maybe five or six sentences all through those two hours, I just sat down there. I just sat down in his presence. And he'll say something, I'll write it down, I'll think about it. When I think I have something to say or a question or something, I'll put it, just sat down there, just sat down there, just in his presence. I'm conscious of him. I believe that he is he's there. I'm conscious of we're, we're dealing with something. The next day, and I, and I saw many people there who had very physical encounters, people rolling, people knocking down and all of that. I had none of that. I was just sitting in his presence. But one thing I noticed is this. The very next time that I had an opportunity to pray after I left that place, I don't know how to describe this, but it felt like God was sitting right there in front of me and we were having a conversation. It felt more present and more real that if I now, if I pray any prayer now, I'm like, yeah, we're there. I'm not just doing this religious talk. I remember when I was a little Christian, young Christian, when they call you to come and pray, uh, maybe a public prayer, rather a rather prayer, then you come and you begin to speak some English and you say, Almighty God, we're coming before you today. And you know, all of those things, when I see those things now, I, I see, I say, ah, he has not met God before. <laughs> Because the next time I'm praying now, there is an awesomeness of, oh, I, as a little human being, I stand right here before the creator of the universe. So when I talk to him, it's real. I made up my mind, like I said to you, I'll never pray another aimless or religious prayer in my life. Because what happens to us is this, the more we pray those aimless religious prayers and just talk, we take away from the power that is in. Remember the Bible says, James 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer that is spread by a righteous man. The Bible says it avails much. Why are our prayers not availing much? Because we dilute them with all kinds of things we call prayer. Prayer, my friends, is a man stands before his maker and he begins to have this house with his maker. That's what we're talking about. I hope I'm talking to somebody this morning. When you pray, put him in front of you. That's why the Bible tells us to come to his courts with praise. We, we approach him consciously, consciously. Every time we come to prayer, approach him consciously. Like you've come to a big man's office. You don't just come in and begin to rabble around. You approach consciously. That's what I want us to do. If we are conscious of him, prayer becomes a dialogue which evolves into fellowship. I'll say that again one more time. If we are conscious of him, 
Prayer becomes a dialogue which evolves into fellowship. I heard Kenneth Egan say this. He said one day he was in prayer, just in prayer in his bedroom in an hotel, and he had forgotten to close, to shut the door, and there was an adjacent room, and the person that was in the adjacent room said, oh, Brother Egan has a visitor. So they came to check, and he has no visitor. He's just sitting down there, and he's having a conversation with God. And the reason the people thought he had a visitor was this. What they heard there was they will hear him say something, then he will keep quiet, then he will say, ah, okay, then he will ask a question, then he will keep quiet, then he will ask a question, then he will say something, then he will make a request, then he will say something, then he will keep quiet. So to the people who were not in the room, it sounded like two people were having a conversation. And I can tell you this morning, that's effective fervent prayer. Am I talking to the church this morning? So, Many times we've learned, and this is how I grew up as well, when, when we pray in the spirit, we walk up and down, we walk up and down. There's nothing wrong with it, with walking walk up and down. But let me tell you that the effectiveness and the ferventness, if there's anything like that, of your prayer does not depend on the speed of your walking around. Your walking around is only good as far as it does not distract you. So many times we're just walking around so that we don't fall asleep and all of that. Let's do all of those things. Some of you have grown up in places where the only way you know that you are praying very well is to shake your head, shake your head, shake your head, shake your head. And now, I don't have any problem with that. Whatever mannerism you have in prayer, keep it. But don't you think your prayer is as effective as the, as the rate of oscillation and gyration of your head? <laughs> If anything, it would distract you from being able to hear his words and bring his words to him. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, God was speaking to his people. He said, come now, let us reason together. That's prayer, my friend. He said, come, let us reason together. A good relationship with him that I believe is the call of my life to take us into it's not one where you need a pastor every time something happens. It's one where you can come to him and say, God, help me understand this. You place it there, you sit down. You are not in a hurry. You are patient. You sit down there. And if you sit down there, he will talk to you. And that will be dialogue which evolves into fellowship. Write this down in your Bibles as well. <clears throat> a need-based prayer life is deficient. If your prayer life is need-based. A lot of your prayer is based on needs. Do this for me. Do that for me. Look at this problem, Lord. It's deficient. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, before Satan came, you know that they didn't have any problems. They had no need. There was no lack. There was nothing. So what did they pray to God? What was there? When God came and the fellowship, what were they talking about? If our relationship with God is about need, do this for me, do that for me, let this be done, let that be done. If that's what our relationship is about. So what was Adam and Eve talking to God about? And that he was coming every evening and chatting with them and fellowshipping with them. Really, let's learn this. There may be needs in your life that you decide not to touch in the place of prayer. I learned this. Some of the biggest breakthroughs that God has ever given me in the place of physical things and all that were at the point where I said to God, God, I make a commitment before you. This issue, I will never touch it again in prayer. I have handed it over to you. And I make up my mind, I'll never touch this again in prayer. There, is, there can be more use to my time in prayer than this one. I hope I'm talking to somebody this morning. We are constantly in dialogue. 
constantly in this dialogue with God. So when a need arises, that need simply becomes part of the ongoing dialogue. It, it melts away into the ongoing dialogue. I said to you, watch out that your needs don't steal fellowship from you. Watch out that your needs don't steal fellowship from you. He said to us that worship is the greatest foundation of effective fellowship. Worship is the greatest foundation of effective fellowship. A few things I want to say to us more, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk them to us in another time. I'll leave that there this morning and go to my last point, number five. Number five is this. Something happens every time we pray. Somebody said, I prayed and nothing happens. Nothing is so further away from the truth. Something happens every time we pray. I want to list out as I wrap up this morning a couple of things that happen in effective prayer. Something happens every time we pray. Something happens. Number one, when you pray, confidence grows. Write these things down and think about them. What are the things that happen in effective prayer? When we pray effective prayers, confidence grows. I've been in trouble before, and I don't even know where to turn with something. And I just pray in the spirit a few minutes, pray in the spirit 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, and I come out of there, and confidence is there. <laughs> Number two, in effective prayer, you find rest for your soul. You find rest. The Lord said this to me. He said, as far as prayer is labor, it is labor to enter into rest. He said, as far as prayer is labor, it is labor to enter into rest. One of the results of effective prayer is to just find rest for your soul. The Bible says that we read in Philippians, it says, and the peace of God. <laughs> Number three, what happens in prayer, there is an exchange of spiritual matter that takes place. Every time we pray, nobody says, I prayed, nothing happened, that's a lie. Every time we pray, an exchange of spiritual matter takes place. My time is gone. Let me quickly read Ephesians 3 for us on this point. An exchange of spiritual matter takes place. Ephesians 3 from verse 14. Listen to Paul. It says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family, understand the whole family of God in heaven and on earth, every one of us the same. He says, this is what I pray, that he will grant you in verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened, strengthened with might by his spirit. And that's taking place in your inner man. And that's why I say exchange of spiritual matter takes place. Exchange of spiritual matter. Number four, things that happen in the place of prayer is submission or cause. Submission. I want to spend some time on this one very quickly. There are some of us that are struggling right now. You know that God is leading you to do something, but you are struggling to be able to do it. And I'll tell you what to do is this. Just stay in the place of prayer. Just stay in the place of prayer. You will find submission, of course. In the place of prayer is where Jesus got there and said, not my will, but your will be done. Amen. In the place of prayer, you know which battles to fight and how to fight them. These are the things that happen in the place of prayer. Many of us are fighting all kinds of useless battles. He says, in the place of prayer, you will just know which battles to fight and how to fight them. In the place of prayer, I wish I had more time on each of these things, but think about them and let the Lord expand them for you. These are the things that happen every time we come in prayer. 
The place of prayer, unknown victories are won. Unknown victories. Most of the battles of our lives, you will never even know that you fought those battles. You know, people will say, oh, I fought, I fought this battle and I won. Ah, it's one you know. Most of the battles you never even know. Unknown victories are won. Victories over the flesh. Victories over Satan. Victories over traps of the enemy. Victories in all kinds of places are won. Chains are broken as people just make themselves available for prayer. And I love this final one. Every time you spend time in prayer, the invitation for the next encounter is logged in your soul. Oh, do you understand that? I don't think every one of us understand that. Nobody can come to God unless he draws you. Real effective prayer life only comes when God himself pulls you and puts a spirit of prayer upon you. What I found is this. Every time I spend time in prayer, I'm looking forward to the next time. Because that time in prayer, God registers the invitation for the next one. This is the reason why, if you've ever been there, where you're somebody who prays, you pray, you pray, you pray, and then you have a break of prayer, and you don't pray effectively for a week, two weeks, what do you find? It's difficult to start praying. Because your invitation for the next one comes from the last one. And many times you don't know it, but there is a pool in your spirit. There's a pool in your spirit that is bringing you back to the place of prayer. Let me give you some final counsel, and this is where I'll close it. Just some final counsel. I'm going to ask us, everybody, to, to recalibrate your, your prayer life, the whole concept of praying in your life. To recalibrate it after I give you this final counsel. Number one, final counsel, talk to God constantly, every time. Let prayer not be this timetable kind of thing where, okay, two to three. After that time, God, your time has ended. <laughs> talk to God constantly, constantly. You're alone, you're something. Talk to God. Just always having before you talking to God constantly. That's my first counsel to you. Take advantage of every, that's number two. Take advantage of every chance to pray with the brethren. Take advantage of every chance you have to pray with the brethren. People, there are many people that despise that. In fact, sometimes the more people mature, they begin to think I can handle it on my own. I have my own prayer life. My prayer life is strong. I don't, mm -mm. <laughs> Take every advantage to pray with the brethren. I learned, I, I'll never forget this. In the very early days of the Stone Church, that's where I learned to pray. Because then we had all night prayers. Every Friday was all night prayer. And there was this group of friends. We were friends from the university. Every Friday we would come. I'd never been in an online prayer all my life. And they said, now we're going to come from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. It's going to be prayer. And it's not this kind of prayer where we pray for 30 minutes, we break, and we don't. No. 10 p.m., you just start praying. Nobody will give you prayer points. And you pray like that till 5 a.m. That's how we prayed. Just be walking around praying. Just praying. Just praying. Of course, there are people sleeping and all that. Just, just praying. And this group of friends, we were friends together. What we did was we'll come to that prayer and we'll hold hands. And we'll just walk up and down and pray from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. We'll just pray. We'll walk around. We'll pray. If anybody wants to fall asleep, just because, you know, we were young people, teenagers. Some of us were ladies. Some of us were men. We were all from the, from the fellowship. You know, the boys, you don't want to fall asleep. That girl is looking at you. <laughs> so, of course, everybody is, everybody is standing. If you, you can't fall asleep. So, there was peer pressure to pray. That's good peer pressure. And I can tell you, till today, that's where the root 
of prayer started in my life. So I said to you, every advantage, every chance you have to pray with the brethren, take it. Number three, make prayer a love affair. Something personal between you and God. Make prayer a love affair. Let, let, don't let prayer be this, this thing that is like a chore. Ah, no, let prayer be a love affair between you and God. Personal. Number four, when you hear his voice, because there's no way you'll be somebody who prays and you don't hear his voice. When you hear his voice, make it your treasure. Let his voice be your treasure. When God was listing out the things that make him turn his face to people, when God in Isaiah 66 was listing out the things that make him favor people, he said, these people are people who tremble at my word. <laughs> That's what God is looking for. He says something to you, something small. Why don't you do that? Why don't you apologize for that? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Simple things he says to you. He says, somebody who trembles at my word, said, that person, I'll turn my face to them. When you hear his voice, make it your treasure. And lastly, worship and intercession. Those two things, they must be the biggest chunk of a matured prayer life. Worship and intercession. Worship and intercession must be the biggest chunk of a matured Christian's prayer life. Worship, intercession. There's no room for you there. Worship is about him. Intercession is about his will for his people. Worship is about him. Intercession is about his will for his people. I make myself available for that. Those two things must form the chunk of an effective, matured prayer life. And I can tell you, you'll come to this place where things happen in your own life that you didn't even pray about. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Your prayer, my prayer, will begin to avail much. Want to do something for me in the last couple of minutes? Rise on your feet and begin to take every word you've heard today. We're going to turn them before the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. Please hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. For questions, please send an email to Pastor Mo at thestonechurchberlin.com. God bless you.